If you've been with us uh, the last few weeks, you know that we're in this series on rest. And uh, we really have been kind of all over the map in our Bibles uh, to tie this theme together. Uh, we started with Mary and Martha and looking at uh, how Mary was distracted with much serving. And Mary was just sitting and listening to Jesus. And Jesus said, Mary takes the better posture. Then we look at uh, Matthew chapter 11 and we see uh, that we can either have the uh, easy and light burden of Jesus, or we can be weary and heaven laden with the burden of busyness. And in the third week, we saw that if we really want to change uh, from being like Martha to being like Mary, or change the burdens we carry, either the ones that we carry because we're busy or the ones we carry because we're with Jesus, that the only way that, that switches is through our habits. That we've got to renew our minds. We've got to uh, lay our bodies down as a sacrifice in order to change. And so we begin to look at these different uh, practices that will help us be less busy, less frantic, uh, and really enjoy the presence of Jesus. And the first one uh, we looked at starting last week was the Sabbath. Uh, and we looked at that by seeing how God Sabbathed and, um, in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and today we're carrying that on by looking at the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, so let's read Exodus 20 together, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The word of the Lord. Uh, our church, uh, Hope Presbyterian, that many of you know, we were planted by Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church uh, down on the south side of town. And I've got a long history with Tate's Creek. Uh, not only was I an assistant pastor there before uh, becoming a church planner here with Hope. Uh, I went there some when I was in college. And uh, when first few times I went, I mean, it was different than any other church I had been a part of. All the other churches I'd been a part of, all they really did during the worship service was sing songs and there was some preaching. But then at Tate's Creek, there were these responsive prayers. There were these confession of faith. There was uh, confession of sin, assurance of pardon. And all that was different. It took some getting used to. And maybe it took some getting used to for you too. Maybe you're still getting used to it. But now I've been doing this for a while. And if I had to pick out one line from one of those pieces of the worship that stuck with me the most, it is in our confession of sin. In fact, it was in our confession of sin today. And it goes like this. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that line. It's fairly familiar. And I think the reason that it sticks with me is because it talks about sin in a much bigger way than the view I have of sin in my day-to-day -day life. See, my view of sin in my day-to-day -day life has a lot to do with this, the, the, my sins of uh, thought, word, and deed about what I've done. Those are sins of commission. Those are sins that I commit. And I'm somewhat aware of those with the help of the Holy Spirit. There's this sensitivity I have uh, to, where, to when I've blown it. 
But then there's this other kind of sin that I don't think about very often that I'm pretty desensitized to, and it's the good that I have left undone. Those are sins of omission. And really the only way that any of us, we become aware of our sins of omission is that if God confronts us through his people or his word to bring those things into the light. And maybe that's what the fourth commandment has felt like for you. At least that's what it feels like for me. The fourth commandment seems like a sin of omission for me. I think it's for lots of reasons. I mean, one reason is, let's just look at our culture. Uh, We live in a market economy that's all about efficiency. It's all about productivity. And efficiency and productivity stand at odds with taking a, a day to rest and do no work. It seems like it's bad for the economy, for the Sabbath. So it's hard for us to do that based on the waters we swim in. But then look at our own hearts. Our hearts are restless. Our hearts want to achieve our own salvation. We don't want to rest and put our faith in Christ for our salvation. We want to earn it with holy living so we can stand before a holy God. So Sabbath is hard because of our own hearts. And then there's a third reason, I think. And the third reason is the church. The church just doesn't practice this whole thing of the Sabbath. So therefore, we're just not accustomed to taking the fourth commandment very seriously. But think about the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Can you imagine someone saying, like, that one doesn't matter. It's not that important. You would do that for the first commandment, so why do we do it for the fourth? Or think about the commandments uh, to not steal, uh, to not murder, and to not commit adultery. I mean... Surely you think those still have relevance today, don't you? I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you think that those are a good idea. I mean, you don't want your spouse being unfaithful to you. You don't want your house robbed. You don't want a loved one to be murdered. But then we look at the fourth commandment, and it's, we just see it as an option, but it's not an option. It's more than just a good idea. It's a commandment. It's as wrong to steal kill and commit adultery as it is to violate the Sabbath. Now, I know that there are a lot of commands in the Old Testament. In fact, there's over 600. And a lot of those commandments have become null and void. They're null and void because Jesus has fulfilled them in his life, his death, and the resurrection. You know, things like uh, circumcision, thankfully, um, the dietary code, And the sacrificial system, those are all some of the laws that have been set aside because of what Jesus has already accomplished. But some of them are still instructive for us as Christians. Things like the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is something that Jesus practiced. It is something that's in the background of several texts in the New Testament. It's in the background of 1 Corinthians 16. It's in the background of Acts chapter 17 and chapter 18. If you look at the life of Jesus and his teaching, you won't find him annulling the Sabbath. You won't find him canceling the Sabbath. And because of all that, I, I think there's this ongoing benefit that the Sabbath has for God's people today. But stop and think about it for a second. God has to command us to rest God has to command us to rest. Does that sound a bit odd to you? 
I mean, it's like commanding someone to eat ice cream. It's like commanding someone to take a vacation. It's like commanding someone to enjoy live music. You would think that if the Sabbath is about experiencing joy, then we wouldn't need to be commanded to practice it. It's kind of like um, being told that uh, Tony's and uh, Malone's and Jeff Ruby's are giving away free food and we refuse to go. That's what it's like not obeying the fourth commandment of the Sabbath. It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis uh, writes this. He says, uh, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, we choose the mud pies. We choose this busy, chaotic, non-stop life over the holiday at the sea that's offered to us in the Sabbath. It's like choosing hot dogs over steak fillets. It's like uh, choosing a dull pencil over a Mont Blanc pen. It's like choosing two buck chuck over high-end wine. Now, if you do, if you pick up this Sabbath as a practice in your own life, let me warn you of two extremes. One extreme is viewing the Sabbath very legalistically. This is what happened in Jesus' day with the Jewish leaders. It's easy to become overly legalistic. It's very possible that you take on this flint-like determination to fend off all distractions. And that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of the rigidity of what the Sabbath could become. And because we're afraid of that, we just don't practice it at all. So if one extreme to avoid is legalism, the other extreme to avoid is the one that only sees two words in the fourth commandment. It's the two words, no work. You begin to see uh, the Sabbath as something where you just veg out. It's the Sabbath a day to do nothing. But if you notice when we read Exodus chapter 20 at the beginning of the sermon, you will have noticed a lot of the same verbs there as are in Genesis 2, the passage we looked at last week. You've got that verb, manua, rest. You've got that uh, verb, uh, blessing. You've got the verb of to make holy. And those aren't activities where nothing is happening. Those are things that actually require activity. So on the Sabbath, you are doing more than nothing. You are delighting in. You are receiving the blessing from God. You are making holy the day by entering into the presence of God. So what does the Sabbath look like? If it's not legalistic on the one hand and it's not doing nothing on the other, then what is it? Well, I want to give some tips. Uh, These aren't rules. These are just tips. Uh, They'll look different for all of us. Some of us have different wirings than others. Uh, We're in different stages of life than others. And uh, these aren't tips that I've learned by practice. These are just tips that I've gleaned from uh, the reading that I've done and the people I've been around who take this Sabbath command seriously. Uh, So uh, just uh, just hang in there uh, with these five tips. The first one, 
is to run everything through the question of, is it restful and is it worship? Now, for something to be restful in worship doesn't mean that you uh, pare down the Sabbath to where all you do is go to church, read your Bible, and pray. But it does mean that you have to filter out some things as not Sabbath-worthy. And if you run something through that filter of, is it restful, is it worship, and you get to the end, and it's not a real clear yes or no, but it's kind of the answer of, well, kind of. It's kind of restful. It's kind of worship. Uh, then my suggestion would be to do that the other six days of the week and to be serious about keeping your Sabbath one that's full of rest. You don't want kind of a Sabbath. Two, aspire to make the Sabbath on Sundays and make it last 24 hours. God's people throughout the Old and New Testament, what they did on the Sabbath is that they worshiped corporately. That's what it's always meant. It was the day where God's word was centered around it. It was the day where you enjoyed the presence of God's people. So I think it is worth making Sunday your Sabbath, if at all possible. But for some of us, it's not possible. I mean, just in, in, in my uh, case, uh, Sunday is, is uh, my least restful day. Uh, I love Sundays. I love being with you and worship. Uh, but there's, a, 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 there's a, a sense of that it's work and that it's not rest. So I've got to figure something else out. And maybe for me, uh, it's Saturday. Maybe for me, it's Monday. We, we're, we're in the trial and error phase at the Wim Hof House. But maybe for you, Sundays are impossible because uh, you're a healthcare worker, that your shift is always changing, or maybe uh, you're in the service industry and you have to work some on Sundays, and I, I get it. Uh, but I think we should do everything we can to make it happen on Sundays. Uh, but maybe it's not work that makes Sundays hard. Maybe it's the fact that you have little kids. Maybe it's the fact that uh, you're the main caregiver for someone who's disabled for someone who's elderly. Uh, and if that's the case, uh, the whole idea of no work really isn't possible because the people you're caring for has just as many needs on Sabbath as they do the other six days of the week. And so maybe the Sabbath is less about not working. It's more about inserting rituals uh, to where you, it, it, the Sabbath is being made holy for you. Number three, engage all your senses. In the Old Testament, uh, days didn't start when you woke up. A day started uh, when the sun went down, and they ended right before the sun went down the next day. And so the Sabbath starts for Jews on Friday night at dinner, and it ends Saturday night right before dinner. And so Friday night begins with a feast where all your senses are engaged. Candles are lit that you could smell. You pray the prayers around the table. You eat your best food of the week on Friday night. You drink uh, your best drink on Friday. Friday night, so your tastes are engaged. Maybe you go for a walk so that you see God's creation. Maybe you play music on the Sabbath that you hear, but engage all your senses. You're really living life to the hilt on the Sabbath. You're hunting for joy with your senses on the Sabbath. So engage your senses. Uh, four, uh, don't work as best you can. Uh, there's two ways I want to look at that. One is with your job, and one is with domestic affairs. Uh, with your job, uh, I, wherever your cell phone is, for most of us, you can work. You can get notifications that your emails are coming in, you've got texts coming in, and so we've got to relate to our phones differently on the Sabbath than we do any other day uh, so that we can ensure that we're not working as best we can. 
Maybe you leave your phone in the car. Maybe you turn your notifications off. Maybe you put your phone on airplane mode. I don't know. But I think we've got to think about the way we engage with our screens differently. And domestic affairs. Um, I read one account of um, a grown woman. She was recounting her days as a child, uh, practicing the Sabbath with her Jewish parents. And she said that her dad came uh, home from work early on Fridays to help her mom do all the housework, all the cleaning, all the laundry, all the dishes, uh, so that when the feast began, there was uh, very little cleanup that needed to be done for the next 24 hours so they could really rest. I think that's a good cue for us. And the fifth one, uh, do Sabbath in community. If you watch Jesus throughout the Gospels and how he practiced the Sabbath, the 12 disciples were all around. Sure, Jesus did have his times where he went away and prayed, but on the Sabbath, he had people around. He also did ministry on the Sabbath. He didn't refuse to help those who had needs on the Sabbath just because it was the Sabbath. And it was because for Jesus, uh, Sabbath is about community, and that's what needs to be for us. And that's hard for some of us, uh, that, that, that we live alone and that we're fairly isolated. And if that's you, l- let me encourage you to f- find other people who uh, are somewhat isolated uh, because of the just season of their life and include them in on your Sabbath. Gather together uh, to have Sabbath in community. Uh, for That's important. And here's my whole hope with the Sabbath. I know we've been talking about it for two weeks. Actually, we're talking about it uh, again next week. But I really hope that in 20 years, you know, we're celebrating about our 20th anniversary as a church. And uh, we said, man, what has God done in our church? And I want uh, person after person to, to stand up and say, here's the memory I have of the Sabbath uh, that I practice with my family, with my roommates, with other church members. And it was the place where we met Jesus. Because I've been practicing the Sabbath for 20 years, I've got a better sense of what it means for my salvation to be a Sabbath, that I am resting from holy living because I've trusted that Jesus really has done all there is to do for me to stand before a holy God. And I'm so thankful of how God's used a Sabbath in my life. That's my dream for us, brothers and sisters is that we meet Jesus, that practice of the Sabbath isn't just about figuring out what's the most fun or figuring out how to do the least amount of work, but it's a place where we meet Jesus. That's the purpose of it. Let's pray. Father, we do desperately want to meet with you. Uh, Lord, we want to make the day holy. Lord, we want to rest the manure. And Lord, we, we want to feast with you. Lord, because we know it prefigures the day where we will be with you at the great uh, wedding feast of the Lamb, where we will be in your presence forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, may we taste that day in this one. In Christ's name, amen.